And we're live with our 156th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter and in real life. Uh, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter and in real life. Seth, say <laughs> hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a uh, holiday celebration spectacular episode of the podcast. Since we all are all going on break, I hope uh, here shortly. I mean, that is if uh, all the log for J hell, you know, actually calms down for people. I, I think it's starting to, we're getting, seems like people are getting control, but they keep updating. So um, condolences if you're still dealing with that. Uh, and, you know, welcome to the first quarter of <laughs> 2022, I guess, right? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not going away anytime soon. Now that we're, now that we have, everyone focused on it at least for a little bit um as far as announcements go though uh i did want to pitch kernel con again again um i'll drop it in there uh we are going to be presenting practical secure code review aka seth and ken's excellent adventure in secure code review at kernel con in uh it's the end of march march 30th to april Yes. It's March 30th, like April 4th or something, or April 3rd or something. April it's like 2nd, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, our, our training is, I believe, the 29th and 30th, or 30th and 31st. Yep, it's 30th and 31st as we'll be given that training. But for those of you that are looking for an opportunity, actually, because we're attached to KernelCon, um, it, the, the pricing is pretty good, right, from an attendee perspective. Uh, and... Yeah, we're going to dive into it. We're going to be there on site in Omaha, like Ken was saying last week. Excited to get back out on the road and actually see people. Uh, it energizes us so much to actually teach in person. Um, like, like, yeah, I've, I've, we've kind of forgotten about that and gotten away from it the last year and a half, but we're going to be back at it because it is so much fun to actually dig in. Like you I saw, miss that um, rush, that yeah, high exactly. that you get when it's over and you see that people like, they're, they've implemented what you've taught them and it's they've like they always find stuff you know it's like oh see this this is works you can find stuff really easily like <laughs> yeah follow process it's well nice. it's, it's i mean i mean honestly we just showed it right the absolute appsec after dark episode with laravel the finding that we got out of that was all yeah. just secure code review right like it it's you know even stuff that people have been over right you know and now you can yeah. look for a log for jay in every Java app that's out there as well. It'd be pretty obvious if you could, if you could do that trace. So I love that. That's it. the, the worst phone we've seen in a long, long time happens to be a part of auditing, which I've given you such crap about <laughs> for years about how boring it is. <laughs> and then you're just like riding that. You'll be riding that high for a long time for sure. I know. I'm all so. like, ha ha. <laughs> oh man this is what i do man i just eat my words that's, that's all i do as i get older i just keep yeah eating my words it's fine well well you know the fact that you like our opinions now are all documented too and we've put them out you know yeah that too via yeah. the podcast like yeah I, I i'm sure you know we're gonna eat our words for the next you know 20 years right you know, oh absolutely it's all good because you know we learn more we do you know we do better, right? That's the whole idea is, you know, if we know better, we do better. So yep. log your shit, right? Like that's, yeah. Anyway. Um, 
outside of Colonel Khan, I don't even know anymore, right? Like I'm so ready for a break uh, from a work perspective that I just, am, you know, I'm pushing my last couple of reports out in the next couple of days. And then anything I'm going to do on the computer is going to be fun from there on out. Right. I don't know. Uh, what do you have planned, Ken? Uh, well, um, yeah, that's a good question. I, basically, uh, you know, a lot of our teams obviously trying to get some breaks and I'm trying to give them breaks. So that means like, uh, I'm kind of sticking around, you know, keeping an eye on things, but, um, at work, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably, I'll, I'll be going on a vacation shortly after Christmas. And then just in terms of like, um, I want to do the one thing I do want to do, if we can swing it before the end of the year, I'd love to do another After Dark episode. That was a lot of fun yep. and just continue on that Laravel framework. So that's a plan. Obviously, I was late to this because I'm trying to get my other place rented out to somebody. Uh, so, it, you know, busy, busy time. I don't think, honestly, between work and like personal life and stuff, you know, there's always something. You you know how it goes, man. You're, you're Yeah. I'm busy, but I feel like you're... Uh, you're a, but you own a company, so you're always going to be a little busier. You know, I just work for one. So. Yeah. Well, I know I've I mean, got that, my, that's, that's it. Right. Like, yeah, we're at a, you know, from a work perspective, I say that. Right. But I, I'm with you. Cause it's, you know, what's your, what's your kind of management and you're in charge. Yes. There's vacation, but it's also, especially over the holidays, it's, I want to give my guys a break. Right. Right. Um, so like if something, cause we help out with some bug bounty programs for companies, if something big comes in, uh, I know I'm the one that's on the hook for it. Right. Like, you know, and I'm sure you've got guys that are, you know, running some of that stuff now, but it's, you know, just being able to help out and relieve that pressure a little bit. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's a similar, uh, it's a similar for me. That's actually similar. Yeah. Cause I manage people. So that's, it's, it's the same. It's like, I want people to get a break. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, I hope, I don't think anything, oh gosh, I do have wood to knock on here. Uh, I don't think any, um, I don't think there's gonna be hopefully another log for Jay, you know, <laughs> while, while this, this two week kind of uh slowdown is occurring, but you know, you, you can never, and honestly, you, you never know. I feel like every time I feel like log for Jay is over, it's not over. Right. So it's, yeah. You know, we'll yeah. I was, I, I was actually reviewing the log for Jay meme site today. And it, like, just because there's so new good. ones that have popped up and I was like, Oh yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah. It's. Yep. It's still going on, right? Like, and I, yeah. Okay. So that actually brings me to the first article that one I, I want to talk about, right? And it's that one that I sent over to you about, um, I, I mean, it, yeah. Okay. Hold on. Let me, let me just post it here quick. Sweet. Um, OSS ah. getting hammered for big court failures, right? Um, right. Let me drop it into. Yeah. Ken is cursing us, you know, on the, yeah. But um, so this article goes into the fact that, I mean, it, it's actually showing that, you know, that XKCD, right. But somebody's modified it for log4j, but we've talked about this for a long time, right? Like this goes back to the left pad debacle that we had years ago. Um, and all of the, the big corporations that depend on open source software, right? And the fact that uh, the the software that we depend upon 
on the internet is is crufty and most of it may or may not actually be actively maintained um and how man i like i it i'm having a hard time just like spitting it out today but the the guys that actually depend on this or that actually develop the software that we depend on often are not paid as well as like even security professionals that are looking at it after the fact, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. They're doing it in their spare time for free uh, without a lot of compensation. And I know GitHub has got some of like the models that they're trying to, you know, the, the, the stuff where you can sponsor projects. Yeah. Yeah. To to help alleviate some of that, but we're still way behind on, these critical pieces of infrastructure, right? It's no longer that they're just open source project projects. These are infrastructure that we all depend on to use the internet and to develop, I mean, develop products. Uh, and when something goes bad, we're screaming at people that realistically don't have time and don't have the resources to actually fix it. Um, Literally and, screaming. Well, I guess, through written word, but they show a screenshot of that. Someone's all caps. So that's yelling and mad about it, about the situation and at the developers for, you know, having allowed this type of vulnerability to be present and not just logging strings and just literally logging and not. Yeah. Which is yeah. So they're, they're mad. Yeah. And yeah, yeah they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're going off. Right. Like, you know, yeah. and like, I get it. It ruins your, weekend right do, do you think that those developers are having a good month right at all i know i know yeah it's 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 and that's the weird thing is like um it's probably new to some people like the person who's yelling there right or maybe uh you yeah. know stuff like this happens but i think like i've become so desensitized to it because you know i'm, I'm so used to I don't know. Once upon a time, we were all of the mindset when you do a code review or you do like a pen test or vulnerability assessment or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, you have some security that there's not supposed to be any holes. But I think over time, we've recognized like there's going to be even in stuff that you pay for and you pay people to develop, not open source projects. There's going to be vulnerabilities. It's just going to happen. It's inevitable for humans writing code. So we're, we're going to have errors. There's going to be some things we didn't uh, think about. So with that acknowledgement, of paid products, there should be an acknowledgement that if you're operating on open source, you know, there's going to be vulnerabilities, you know, this is going to happen. And I become desensitized where I don't think too much about the blame. Usually now my mind goes to what are other ways this can be exploited? What are, what would a, a variant of this look like throughout our, you know, elsewhere in our code base, we call that variant analysis, right? Trying to find other, um, variants of the bone that was discovered, um, doing uh, a deep dive to make sure it's not exploited, um, making sure the, pa- the fixes are sufficient and that there's no easy bypass. And those are the kind of the main activities that in my head now, you know, you, no matter how bad it is or how late or how much nobody slept or how stressful it is, uh, through repetition, honestly, this is not that... I don't get emotional or mad at anybody because they're just human beings doing the best they can. Um, 
and our job is to do the best that we can to protect everybody else. So it's sort of like, well, it happened, you know? Yes. There's time. There's, there is time later to analyze how you could have prevented it. There's time later to, to look at your architecture and your entire code base and look at, you know, other places you could have made mistakes. There's a time to create a sprint board to fix the, you know, by impact the things that you need to fix. Um, that you've discovered there's a time for all that but it's not in the moment where you know you're doing a blame game you're just trying to make sure that things are taken care of yeah. nobody's exploited it and your customers are okay so yeah well i mean it's that that's a, that's all like crisis management right like right. that's your you know your response team right like your incident response team like blame does no good and you know going off like that on again developers that are you know developing, putting together a library in their spare time, not getting paid to do it. Um, and that didn't realize these unintended consequences. And like the, the big thing I take away from that rant actually is, oh, you just have to log the string. That's all it was. I'm like, man, do you even understand what system.out.println like actually looks like and the other dependencies that go into that? Um, because you may think that you could just develop one and then not realize that there's interpolated strings going on there, right? Like it's the, the fact that these guys are even still going at it and trying to fix it, man, just be thankful, right? Be thankful that there is a fix that's coming and that you're just not having to rip out all this code because that's your other option, right? Like realistically, right. that's it. And uh, yeah, I, so... Yeah, Open source is a tough one, man. People... yeah. I get why people are upset and I get, I get, I get that, but only to a certain degree. Cause I think if you've just been experienced this enough, you know, like it's just, you can't point fingers cause inevitably that's going to come back to, to bite you later. Cause you're, you're going to have made a mistake too. It's just, it's just, the, it's the, you know, it's the same thing as like when you're like, Oh, that idiot driver did this thing, you know, they didn't, or, you know, light turned green they didn't, they didn't go. And then, you know, like what? Two months later, you're you're like, oh crap, this seat looks important. You're looking at your phone, and then you're the asshole, right? And and that's yeah. And then yeah. you're just you know, it's the same thing. We're like that person's messed up, but it's gonna be it's gonna come back to you if you you shot too too much and you get too aggressive. Just know like you know you're that's gonna come back. But I do think it's interesting that the the idea that you know the internet does run on soft uh, on open source. We saw that. We saw with this, how many services and how many providers were affected. Um, just simply because that, like you said, if you dig deep enough and you, you look deep enough in all of the products that you use, it's built on open source. It's gonna, there's gonna be things discovered and it's gonna happen. That is what, that is actually just a case for like why you want to have, you know, layered security. This is why you want to have, it's like, you know, sometimes people will ask, I'll get into like a design consultation. I know you go through this too, or or a threat model or something like that, where it's it's less about, or even during a code review, I'll give some recommendations and you'll you'll see those recommendations. Um, or so, sorry, somebody will see those recommendations and they'll come back and they'll say like, hey, you know, I don't really think that that's really a priority or something that, you know, we have this other stuff. And you're like, you always try to explain like, yeah, but if this falls down and that falls down, what I'm giving you is a roadmap to make, to make yourself resilient against inevitable vulnerabilities that will be introduced. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, that's the approach that you should take. It shouldn't be like, well, if one thing goes wrong, like we don't have any plan, you know, 
yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, I mean, you have well, to make a trade off an acknowledgement is all yeah. I'm trying to say. Well, and know? I mean, you know, that response shows an immaturity in, okay, how long have you actually been in the industry? Because every time there's going to be a vulnerability, like, like you go back to, right? Like it's, it's not surprising open source software, even commercial software. And I had, I had almost, I don't almost argue that most custom developed software is worse than open source software, right? You talk about the vulnerabilities that I find as a consultant, and it's mostly in custom software that's written specifically for companies, right? That's what application security is built on because it's where active development is happening. It's where active mistakes are going on. Um, open source software actually has, especially projects like Logcore J have a lot more scrutiny on them, Apache, other ones than custom software that's developed specifically for a company. But aside from that, right, this shows a lack of, or it shows immaturity in realizing what you're dealing with and what your job actually is. Um, like, yeah, like it sucks when you have to stay up nights patching stuff, right? But you could say the same thing about the latest vulnerability for Microsoft Windows or for iOS or for, you know, pick your platform that's out there and everything has vulnerabilities in it. It just does. Uh, we just haven't discovered them all. When we discover them, guess what? It's going to be a fire drill. That's what you're signing up for by being in security is the fire drill. The company knows that like you're going to try and prevent things, but when it comes down to it, your expertise, your ability to understand what the vulnerability is and patch it means that when these incidents happen, you're going to be on the hook to help fix it. If you don't like Absolutely. it, find something else, right? Like I, I like I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy there because we've all been through it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You've done it. We've done it. Like I, I did it like within the first six months of, you know, being an administrator, right? Like in a developer helping, uh, you know, helping run and build a, a website for iOmega all those years ago because of SQL injection, right? Yeah. And guess what? You know, it, it hasn't changed. This is, a, the, the industry is cyclical. You're going to run into it again and again and again. Um, if you don't expect that and you don't want it, there's other things that you can do. I uh -oh. have a surprise for oh, you. No. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Crap. I better shut uh. up now. <laughs> so let's talk about software bill of materials because that's where I want to go with this. Yes. Logic let's talk about that. Stefan. And welcome. A very special uh, episode <laughs> uh, and character on that... our podcast today. Uh, welcome, Stefan Edwards. Seth did not know this was going to happen. Here. This is very impromptu. I, I think I might have said something to Stefan last week, but I, I couldn't remember. And I'm like, um, maybe we should just have Stefan join. He's got thoughts and opinions on all of this. And uh, <laughs> thank you for joining. Thanks for like hopping on, man. I appreciate it. I mean, we we deal with this sort of stuff both adversarially and in Red Team, obviously. But now with Log4J, we've been spending a lot of time thinking about it, too, you know, so. We should also like for those that, yeah, real briefly, uh, and you can add to this, Stefan, feel free. But Stefan Edwards uh, works, with, we both work uh, together at uh, uh, GitHub. Um, Stefan uh, leads the red team there. Um, so if you've never, if you're newer to the podcast and haven't seen him, he's a, he's a good friend. He's a regular um yeah, just he's very. He's also the guy I have to Google everything that he says. So uh, get prepared to get oh, your Google. Yeah, up. yeah. Fire, fire the that Google up. Yeah, yeah. Or Bing. 
whatever you know no. <laughs> hey, wait, you gotta, you, you've got to promote wait 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 i i, I didn't hear duck duck go oh yeah the opinions of stefan and i do not represent our employer i just want to put that out but we do have yeah <laughs> especially mine mine definitely don't Anyways, with all that, if you want to add to it, Stefan, but yeah, Stefan's done crazy cool stuff. He's worked a trail of bits. We worked all together at a consultancy that uh, used to exist, or maybe it still does. I can't remember. Anyways, uh, yeah, Stefan, if you wanted to. I mean, I, I, I think the thing that bothers me the most is that we have all this like infrastructure as code sorts of cruft floating around for, for S-bombs specifically. That's that's what I was jumping in yeah. on here. Uh for S-bombs it's, or software bill of materials, it's so annoying that we literally have definitional, like denotational uh, items in our repositories that define our infrastructure, that define our interconnections, that define uh, the, the software that we consume, the entire health of our ecosystem. We have code that interacts with all this sort of stuff. And then we literally do nothing with it. Like there's, there's no software that's like, in the entire panoply of crap that you're using, <laughs> there's something here that is a, a misconfiguration, a problem, etc. It's like we we're barely at the point where we can uh, alert when our our Docker file has root as a user. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty bad when you think about. It. We have all this stuff out there. It's like coding in C in the late 80s and not realizing that like PC Lint is available or something. And that's literally the only tool. It's not good, but it's the only tool available. That was like PC Lint 1.0 in case PC Lint is listening and wants to get upset about it. I mean, it's like a very, very long time ago. Uh, we're, we're at that phase where there's just, there's linters. There's like a pile of stuff you can use, but it's not great at all. Well, tool limitations I, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's partially tool of limitations, but it, I mean, this is honestly where I wanted to go today is because as, as I've been thinking about Log4j, like, you know, as a consultant, as someone that, you know, hey, I've advised a couple of people and I've been watching this process happen. But the big problem is that people just don't know. I mean, not necessarily just like, hey, are they using Log4j? The question is, are we even using Java anywhere? Right. Like it's, yeah. you know, like just a simple of a simple, like, what is the framework? What is the language that's being used? You know, like what, what are we actually built on? And, you know, we've got all of these definitions to your point, Stefan, about like, Hey, we know what a build materials should look like. You know, we have solved this problem from a thinking perspective but not from an actual implementation perspective. And we don't require it. Uh, like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to get around that. Right. Like as a consultant, I'm coming into a company and I'm going to do a, an assessment or a secure code review. Like if I asked for a software bill of materials, I would probably get laughed out. Right? Like I just, I, they, they don't have it. Right? Like there's no, like I've never run into one. I, I, I mean, have you, like I, either of you, right? Have you ever run into a, an actual software bill of materials when you're looking at a code base? In government. In government. Okay. Yeah. In government. Yeah. And it, it, uh, the only way, reason why we ran into one was, um, they, this, this project had like a, you know, a, an actual requirement for it. 
And usually you see those sorts of things when it's, uh, you know, when it's, it's, it's of certain safety criticalities and whatnot. That's usually when you start to see software bill of materials. And this came out of a team that had like uh, switched from doing aircraft, like avionics software to doing okay. like finance applications. So they didn't lose their jobs. And so they, they literally had a, a, a document that listed every single library where and what version. It was horribly out of date by the time we got it. But like we, we knew exactly like every single system executable that they relied upon having anywhere in their application. So that was my that was my one concern is just like maintain maintainability over time, yeah. you know, yeah. just keeping a and also like man, I've seen graphs of like dependencies and they're just bananas. There's there's no there's no making sense of it. It's pretty, it's cool looking, it's more for effect than anything else. But I've seen those like those crazy like you know I forget the name of the types of charts where they just splinter out, they just go everywhere, cool. and it's like how useful is that really? I don't know you know yeah well and okay you know i'm not sure how pointed i want to make this question but uh you guys happen to run a, a rather large packet re package repository now hmm. like is that something <laughs> yeah exactly but like what is what is your thinking on as far as um and like you, you don't have to answer this whatsoever, right? Like, but how does how does software build materials play into the package management world? Um, because those dependencies are you know are somewhat critical to um, you know packages dot or package dot JSON and package lock, right? Like that kind of stuff, you know, comes into play and it's fairly automated. Um, but how does that like how does that play into your thinking around bill of materials. I mean, Can it, you answer that? it's, yeah. it's, no, I know, Stefan, Stefan. Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> it's funny because Stefan, I'm laughing because this is like what, this is part of what Stefan's been doing. So yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I just have to sit back and listen to him. I, I was, I was, uh, so we're, we're doing some work internally. Like Ken, Ken mentioned there's, there's some projects that we have. We're starting across package ecosystems just to see what our own software consumption looks like. And it's um, it's definitely interesting because when you look across, like the, the thing that was surprising to me was um, looking across the ecosystem for typos or um, edit distances. So you, you look across the ecosystem and I'm, I'm not talking about GitHub's usage here. I'm just talking about what I see when I download all NPM packages and walk them. Um, you look for things that are like one edit distance or two edit distances away. So there's a, a character removed, a character added, et cetera, character changed in between them. And the number of packages uh, in NPM, in gems, in PyPI uh, that are that do the same thing, have almost the same name and are like one character away from one. Because the, the first time I was talking with Greg and I was like, I was super stoked the first time I ran it because I literally found something that looked like it was typo squatting. And then I go to the, the page of the package and it's this like ancient creaking uh, library that's, that's was written because someone thought about it and then someone else didn't know. And they made a very similar package and named it the exact same thing, but with a dash instead of a period. And uh, you know, now developers, when they're looking for something, depending on how they search for it, they'll get 
like half of them will get dash and half of them will get period. And, you know, people will install this stuff. And it's like you, like, even if you have the best of intentions, if you're looking for object set or you're looking for something very generic, depending on how you search, you will get different versions of the, of a library that does the same thing, for example. And so I think it's top of everyone's mind in, in package ecosystems. Like, what are we consuming? How are we consuming them? What's the package health? Um, Microsoft has invested very heavily in this. There's a, an interesting tool. I've talked about it on the show before, OSS Gadget, that they, they maintain. Um, it's a C-sharp library and program uh, suite of programs for downloading from various packages, uh, package registries, excuse me. It has its own URL format, um, and it can do some SBOM material. I know uh, OpenSSF is very interested in it with one of their sub-projects. Um, and again, every maintainer that I've, I've spoken to is interested in, in SBOMs. I also, uh, the cynical side of me wants to admit too, though, that every, like, it's like that Mugatu meme where it's like SBOMs so hot right now. It's yeah. everyone's talking about supply chain security. It's in like regular old people news, it's in uh, tech news. I think everyone is just like super excited to see software bill of materials and, and supply chain more generally. So I, I think there's also a lot of money and, and um, idea space at play here too. So yeah, I well, do want to point out Josh yes. Corman deserves some credit here. Cause oh, I watched sure. Josh Corman beat this into the ground back in like screaming from the rooftop back in like 20, 13 is the last time, but it probably before then is when it started. Whoa. It's been just on that kick for a, uh, the longest time and kind of died down. And then uh, now we're back. We're back to it with this. You know, I feel like that was like a pre it's, it's no matter how much we preemptively warn or, you know, think about this stuff and discuss it and have things presented on it. It's never, an, it feels like it's never until shit just goes terrible that people are like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah. Like, why is that? What is it about us uh, human beings that we need to see that horrible outcome for it to, you know, register? I, I don't know. Anyways. Well, when did the rugged manifesto come out? Like uh, Josh Corman and all those. those so folks. long ago. Yeah. It's like yeah. It, it was, it was, uh, you know, like we've been talking about this for a while. The, the Verica folks have been talking about this with their, uh, you know, their manifesto for DevSecOps. Like none of this is new. Uh, I think everyone has known that the the software ecosystem is is uh, unmonitored at best is probably a, a nice way of saying it, but it's it's just uh, it, it's exploding now because I think people realize that it's it's going to be a problem, you know, or it's going to continue to be a problem, and we're not investing in it properly, you know. Uh, yeah, mm. I, I mean, Which... so so, and this this is just it because you know I. For, for me getting shit about like, you know, uh, Crocs and socks stuff, like the basics of software development and application security, right? Like it, it pops up and it's where like these, these large, large vulnerabilities and exploits actually come from because we're so dependent on that. And as developers, though, we chase the new shiny. Right. Like, oh, yeah. How inter how interesting is it to talk about Log4J four weeks ago? Right. If I had brought up Log4J on the podcast, 
or like just in general like tried to talk about it like everybody being like yeah 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 like yeah you have to log shit right like that's that's kind of the response that i normally get and now it's like oh there's this whole class of vulnerabilities that can pop out of that and granted like i wasn't prescient enough to know that like oh i realized that this interpolation is actually going on and whatever right like it took somebody actually exploiting it but now like it's it's a question of what's next, right? Like what's in that software bill of materials that can bite us. And I've actually seen this from a dependency confusion perspective as well recently in some of the uh, bug bounty stuff that I've been involved with because developers mistype names of packages and then end up including things that they don't realize aren't there in the package repositories. And you get a, you know, a researcher that realizes that that pull is actually happening. And they're like, Hey, like we found this in your code base and we're seeing like all these instances and it's not just the organization that I'm dealing with that is that has that mistype in there right like it's oh you know it may be one or two of our systems but you saw like 2000 different systems reach out because it's a very common package and it's easy to mistype stuff and i'm like man how do you actually solve this right like as a as a consultant i'm like okay we're going to fix our stuff but I don't know because I don't want to touch the rest of that. You know, you that's what that's what you guys are dealing with. Anyway. Well, it's it's hard too um, because whenever you have users who can generate names and stuff, it's it's like so. One one of the things I do is it, again edit distances, just looking for um, how close of a mistype. But one of the one of the things I started looking for was commonly swapped pairs. So uh-huh. like W for E or R for E. Right. And, and looking through and iterating through commonly swapped pairs of, of things. And uh, there were quite a few hits that were malicious. Right. They were actively attempting to to uh, exploit typos. NPM had taken most of them down. We cleaned up the rest of them. But then there was a huge number of them that were like, oh, no, this is my private fork of X. And it was like you can't even tell when someone is actively doing something good about it. And the problem we've run into is there's a lot of there's a like again people can name things whatever they want to naming's not it's like one of the hardest things in computer science right and so people yeah. name stuff all sorts of you know ridiculous names for libraries and you end up with things that are typo squatted that aren't actually a problem at all right now right yeah now. <laughs> right now right now yeah so until, yeah until you've got some dependencies on it and I, like yeah. So I, like, it, it, it's hard, like thinking about all of this, right? Like as long as we all have been in the industry now and not being a nihilist about it, right? Like, cause it, it, it does feel like this cyclical nature of, oh crap, right? Here's, here's the latest. We should have a way to actually get around this. Um, but yeah. How does that actually like, how how do you actually go about it and how do you keep your keep your cool right <laughs> and, and keep engaged right that that that's the question that i have um yeah i i, I just don't know anymore right like it's just like it it feels like a a never ending problem like we solve a little bit here and then it pops up again over there um where do you go with that right like do we just pass it on to the next generation because it got passed on to us? Well, I, I, 
I do think paved paths. Uh, also, to answer leisure shoot, uh, leisure. Ah, I can't speak today. Leisure, leisure shoot, shoot Larry's question. Uh-huh. Uh, there, there's actually a uh, a standard from OpenSSF uh, called SBDX. Apparently, um, yeah, that they're working on. It's like a consortium thing. So you know, it's it's going to be some time. But uh, I, I honestly think it's it's got to be paved paths, like. If you are doing X, you must use our blessed version of X. Um, this is also, I mean, the three of us have all written recommendations to clients before that were like, oh, you're consuming large swaths of the, the open ecosystem. Like you need to set up your own registry and pull only from there with versions that you've approved and pinned to. So yeah. it, it's just one more step. Like you have a set of libraries that you're good for. And when people need to do something outside, um, instead of questioning them and say, why aren't you doing something else? You can say, okay, let's talk about it and come up with new standards for it. It's, it's, there's, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no golden road to security. Like, unfortunately, someone somewhere has to do something <laughs> and approve a library for being good at what people want it to do and yep. avoid a lot of the confusion. Like you said, Seth, people will just look for something, install a library, and it's like, whoops. I mean, for, for goodness sakes, that was the dash in NPM that was going yeah. on. There's like 700,000 downloads or it's probably more now of uh, like because NPM install does not accept dashes for arguments. And so this this person uh, added a, a package named dash. And so people add it as a typo all the time. And now there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of do- uh, downloads for it, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it, I don't know, like, it, th- this is that, we, we always go back to this trade-off between development or ease of use and security, right? Like usability versus security. And it it's on the development side as well, um, because I, you know, I've been in organizations where we've approved all those packages. We've had the, you know, internal package manager set up. And anything that was loaded in there had to be approved by security. And the developers hated it, right? Yeah. Uh, Because they didn't have the flexibility to just go out and try stuff. And so, like, we had to balance that with, okay, there's environments that you can actually run and you can test whatever you want in. We're protected against it. But once it goes into a product, it has to be approved by security. And they still hated it, right? Because we only, you know... There was no getting around it, but it was like, you know, it was a financial institution. It was easier to actually implement some of that as opposed to a startup where the developers are just installing everything willy nilly and no one knows what's actually in the product. Um, Yeah. I almost think you have to be more diligent as a startup than you do as, as a financial institution in some ways, not because uh, the, the risks are greater or anything there. It's just that, you know, it's so easy to set yourself down the road to having to support, you know, 17 different languages because, uh, you know, a, a developer thought they were cool for a specific project. And now what it was once uh, up and coming software is now legacy maintenance software that yeah. runs some critical portion of your business. And you have no one on staff that knows, you know, Scala.js with the specific, like, you know, Scalatra framework that you're using. <laughs> so, I love the grimace on both of your faces. 
laughter, grimace, yeah. Uh, but you, you know, it's 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 one of those things where like you you do have to sort of be diligent about what you're putting into your ecosystem, and and S bombs and supply chain awareness is is really helpful for that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Don't don't do this. Don't fork a library and then don't maintain. That's what I've seen people do is they fork a library, feel like it's vetted, maybe add something or just subtract something they want from it and then it just sits there. No security patches, no updates, nothing. Just sits there and that leads uh, Actually Seth, I think like, yeah. Wait, we, that's wrong? I, I Yeah, right, yeah. No, Oops. but that's another solution people have used and it's also wrong, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. you can maintain those libraries, but uh, usually they just sit there and collect dust once well, more. That, that was the big problem with Go when it first came out before Go Mod or what became Go Mod uh, was, was accepted. It was awful. Like trying to, and it also encourages developers to further uh, diverge from master or from main um, because it's so easy to modify something. It's like, ah, let me just add that helper in there to be easy. And I've seen so many Go code bases, obviously prior to, to mod being added that were just like, we can't upgrade. We've made way too many modifications to it and we can't match upstream anymore. We're just, we're out of sync. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So yep. also there's a, a critical in there. So we'll, we'll try to backport the, the fix. We, we totally got it this time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll be able to, yeah, we'll be able to push it in. It's not fine. a problem. Yeah, I, I I don't know, but so so what is your suggestion, right? Like, okay, you you walk <laughs> into a startup. I'm I'm gonna yeah, like go back to being a consultant. You walk into a startup, they have no software bill of materials. Where do you start? I, is that what they need though? Is is AppSec yeah. what they need? You I, know, because that's the question. That's that's a legitimate uh, question. We've been asked that yeah. before by brand new startups where they're like what do I do? And you're like, wait, well, okay. So what are you using? They're like, Oh, we're using AWS. Like, okay. So what have you done to secure AWS? Well, we, we know we have some workspaces, a few different environments for AWS. We're actually not like, I think some of those devs have their own AWS. Wait, I actually don't know how many, are we only using AWS? Are we also using Azure? We definitely have GCP. Wait, apparently we're using some GCP. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're only a node shop. Oh, uh, no, we except could, we for, remember now. Yeah, except for yeah, it's like, except, it's except like, for oh wait, wait, wait. Yeah, we do have that one ASP, you know, app that we wrote, you know, ten years ago. That, oh my gosh. That, well, <laughs> I, I think, uh, and Seth, your your post in Slack right now is exactly where I was going to yes, go. Exactly, good point. So, yeah. Software bill of materials is the new hotness for infosec 101 which is you need an asset catalog and you need to understand your risk for said asset catalog and you need to understand what data transits said component within said asset catalog and you need to understand what your current posture and exposure to said entry and asset catalog is and s bombs are just the latest version of infosec needs to make you eat your vegetables i mean it's like you know, yeah. it's it's not sexy, it's not fun, but it's so much better than having to figure out where you're running log for J, uh, and then finding out like ten days after that you're also still running log for J somewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I mean, it's it's the basics, right? And I, I mean, Daniel Meisler posted that like that. This was a recent article from him, right? And it, and I, I mean, it all references log for J stuff because everybody's kind of thinking about 
software bill of materials and how do I understand where that's actually at? But, um, and that, that was where I was going with it. I figured it was apropos to actually push that in there that this asset management, knowing what you have and what you're actually using across the board. Um, and then that, that feeds into application security and the software bill of materials because you are, that's part of the development process. But if you don't understand what developer workstations are out there and what, uh, what cloud provider you're using, what internal tools, like how many different cloud providers, how many different internal tools are actually available, uh, it's going to be very difficult. But I like your money yeah, is probably not best spent on paying for us to come in and do a test, right? At that point, your, your money's yeah. better spent having somebody walk in like such as yourself and say, look, I know you want us to do a test and find vulnerabilities and all that. But listen, if you haven't done a basic catalog of what you all own and you can't tell me like what your endpoint security looks like and how many laptops are, like you said, like how many dev laptops are out there and what controls are on there. What good am I, what, what is any good, you're, you're putting your money in the wrong place, you know, it's, it's yeah. don't, yeah. And that, but that has happened. That is, that's why I say that is that this absolutely happened where we've been brought in for like, we want AppSec and you're like, you're not ready for it yet. You, you have a lot to do that underpins all the security of everything you're doing here before you even get to that. That's once you feel like you've got it pretty much under control, you know, like that's not your, you know, anyways, I'm well, going off on a tangent. Pe people want to go uh, to the, the sexiest thing possible. They want to solve actual problems. And I, I think what a lot of this is speaking to though is uh, this really needs to be automatic. Remember fixing XSS or SQL injection when it was all manual and you had to find every single location, like mm -hmm. modern frameworks, you don't think about that sort of stuff. And I, I do think IAC's next uh, innovation or, or next evolution, I should say, is being able to actually build an asset catalog and have some reasonable semblance of understanding of who, what, where, when, how, uh, automatically for all of your, your infrastructure and then we stop talking about asset catalogs and we, we enable GRC folks to query and check for compliance rather than spend months on end actually, you know, having interviews, trying to figure out what's living where, uh, you know, and, and have those basics. And people are focusing on the cool problems and are focusing on the other stuff rather than, you know, entering into an Excel sheet again. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, the, the automated portion of that is, is the hard thing, right? And that's what I get to with software bill and materials, because I'm like, okay, you know, I think about a node application, I think about packages.json and the ability to distill that down pretty quickly, as long as we understand what the application is, and the uh, software composition analysis that's going on. Okay, that's all, you know, fairly important, you can build some of that out. But how important actually is that? when it comes to, okay, you know, a bug bounty program that I'm helping run and they don't even know who owns the assets that they're, they're pushing yeah. out to the bug bounty program. And I'm like, guys, the cart's way before the horse here, right? Like if, if we can't actually fix the vulnerabilities that are coming in, why are we paying for them? Right? Like, I just, I don't, I don't understand. Um, and it, yeah, like it's because somebody got sold on Bug Crowd or Hacker One or whoever else, and you know they wanted they wanted to go to their investors and say, yeah, we we run a bug bounty program because that's a cool thing right now. Um, it's sexy. Yeah, yeah, 
it's it's the it's the sexy problem to have or it's the you know it gets us good good marketing right that's yeah marketing material so i but i don't know right like how do you solve that continuous asset management problem across the board not necessarily just the software bill and materials but even just applications right like are you, i mean internally at github slash microsoft are you guys do you have a solution for that that's not just enter into this form you know who owns what am i putting you too much yeah. on the spot no we we use um well i don't know like i can talk about it a little bit we use a we use ownership files inside of repositories yeah. um this is a standard okay. that's kind of required for you to be able to deploy also we we have like um because of the way we're set up to deploy, you, there ga there's gates. We'll say there's gates that you have to go through if you want to put an app hey, on. Path. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, and there's a there's a catalog of services that we have that's mapped to the information that's placed in this ownership file. And again, that's needed to go online. And then we've got like, like I said, we've got some gates that things uh, go through. So um, maybe there's more to add there that Stefan can think of, but that's kind of like, uh, yeah, the, the primary way a repo map, maps to a service basically kind of. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, and that would be my, my question to Stefan there is as a red teamer, right? Like as your team goes in and finds these vulnerabilities, right? What, like, how do you identify who that goes to? Right. So is, is it always that, is that always in place? So we, uh, uh, because of the because of GitHub's position and whatnot, uh, we actually do a a fairly robust uh, conception of operations process prior to to launching an engagement, and we actually yeah. engage with our uh, client engineering teams much earlier than maybe if a, a normal or traditional red team would for certain. Okay, teams. so it's much more as if dev teams had come to us and asked like. Hey, can you red team this? Except we're the ones like sort of sticking our foot in the door and saying, "Hey, we're going to red team this." So let's talk through with your management uh, what that looks like. So we we set up rooms for communications in case something goes down, etc. There. Uh, so we do quite a bit of legwork to find uh, directly responsible individuals, uh, directly responsible teams, and then also potential blast radius. So for example, if we're we're doing something with system A. And we know that it is very heavily reliant on system B. We'll actually read system B into the program and, and talk about what we are going to try and what we might see. Now, obviously, we don't read the entire team in. Developers uh, like may or may not know about it. It's, it's mostly for management so that management can escalate to us uh, properly. But yeah, we, we rely on, on the code owners and, and service catalog quite heavily. Uh, for our work as well, just to know who we might be impacting, honestly. Okay. Which, I mean, which makes sense. I, I mean, that's more of kind of like a consulting style arrangement, right? Yeah. Like you've got, we've got a list of, you know, pre, like a checklist that we put in when we're dealing with clients as far as, okay, who does this escalate to? Like when there's a problem, who are the developers? If we have questions about, you know, activities and, you know, all of that other stuff, it feels like a kind of an internal consulting or, you know, red teaming engagement at that point. So, which makes sense, right? From, from my perspective, I just, I, like, it's, it's those other advisements that I run into the, you know, the, those corporations where they're asking for help outside of the kind of the assessment, the red team engagements where I, you know, I know they struggle and I, 
I see it when, you know, just talking to people at like local OWASP chapter that just have no idea. They, they've been hired to be the AppSec guy and there's, you know, 200 developers and they don't, they have no idea what software is running besides the main application and, and then wonder why, yeah, why they can't get anything done. So. It, it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, you need InfoSec basics before you can, like, for example, very often people want to get in, get bug bounties going, get vulnerabilities going, uh, start poning applications, all this fun stuff. And it's like, all right, how do you risk rate that against the application? Like, what is the risk rating for the system versus the business? Like, is there a business risk that's different from a system risk? And when you're in a, a less mature organization, uh, those are things you're going to have to very quickly stand up and, and process through before you can do all the fun stuff of breaking. I mean, when I was consulting, most of the time it would be like, hey, do you have a risk rating and do you have an asset catalog that we can use? And very often it's like, no. And then it says, okay, do you have an engineering prioritization? And they might say no. And so it's like, okay, we're literally going to enter findings, which are things you need to do now, and observations, which are things you need to keep under consideration for later. And that's yep. it. And everything that I say is an F, you have to go through and figure out how to fix and we'll help you prioritize it. Because they're just not mature enough to be like, this is a very likely F versus this is a very unlikely F. Like do that later. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because they don't know. They yeah. don't even have two buys to do to to work with, you know? Well, and that's I, I mean, that goes back to another problem that I'm running into constantly. And and apparently it's a bitch session today about like, yeah, um asset management. But um another problem that I'm running into quite often with even large organization is pushback on um, hey, I rated this as a you know a medium severity issue for your application, right? Just based on my limited knowledge of coming in and consulting and they're coming back and they're like, well, we want you to put that as a low on the report. And I'm like, why, right? Like, why, why are you asking me to change a rating um, when you can accept whatever you have? Like, I know you've got Jira or something internally that's doing bug tracking, like that is your prioritization or maybe you don't, right? Um, but the fact that you're pushing back on me in my report just kind of shows this lack of uh, maturity in your organization on how to deal with exactly what you're talking about, Stefan. Um, this, uh, what do I need to do now versus what do I need to do in the future? And just because something is rated by an external third party as a high severity uh, doesn't mean that you have to go jump on it right at this minute. Right? And so... You probably yeah, sometimes it's just a compliance requirement. Honestly, sometimes it's like if they can show that there's no mediums or highs or criticals, then and it's low that they can pass their sock audit or whatever it might be. Sometimes that's literally just the reason they do it. They don't have yeah. a sometimes it's, process. Yeah, they don't have yeah, a don't. process to ingest findings and say, "Oh, for the system, this is a high, or this is an uncontextualized high." Mm. But based on access profiles and other things, it's actually a low because it's literally only accessible by Susie who like has two keys to get into the building and has to go down into a basement in order to access it, you know, whatever it is. Um, they don't, they don't have that process to understand it. Like Ken said, it's just like, the legal says I need to fix all highs. Uh, you yeah. gave me a high, so I don't want to fix it now. So <laughs> like go, go fix well, it. And that's, uh, that, that's just it, right? Like I feel like, and, and 
all you're doing is confirming this to me as it feels like they're just being lazy, right? Like they don't want to justify on the report what their process is um, to compliance or to whoever is asking to say, oh, well, we looked at this and we, you know, we have a definition of why this is really a low severity and we're putting it on the backlog as opposed to we're going in to take take care of it right now. Um, and yeah, so so that's what it's going back to for me is, Hey, yeah, it's a maturity and it's a laziness factor on, you know, what they're actually implementing or what their process is. Yeah. <laughs> NIST 812 in the streets, NIST 830 in the sheets. <laughs> that's that, I mean, that's a good tagline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you need like NIST 812 is like uh, intro to InfoSec uh, or, or basics to, to information security. And then NIST 830 is like the first document in risk management uh, within the, the NIST universe there. So yep. it's, it's uh, like as, as much as you want to do all the cool stuff, all the crypto stuff in NIST or like NIST 800-115 or whatever, um, you really need to start with the basics always. Um, and it's unfortunate that people don't. Yeah. Yeah. But well, yeah. Well, I was, was going to say, bringing it back to Log4J though, uh, and, and that's that whole thing. It's also hilarious how we have come to rely on unpaid labor and our entire businesses are accepting huge amounts of risk from unpaid contributors who may literally be in like countries that we actually couldn't do contract. Like we, we may literally not be able to pay these people legally <laughs> for certain things if they were paid. And yet we just willingly accept software from these people because we literally have no provenance information and no uh, care about this sort of stuff. Not that everyone needs to worry about provenance and, and source and ITAR restrictions and things like that. But it is quite funny when you think about the fact that like people just yeet stuff off of GitHub into their code base wherever it is. And yeah. Stack Overflow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know, like how many, you know, comics are out there about like Stack over like developers that are like what people think I do during my job, you know, during my day to day. And what, what, what it really is, is I'm going to Stack Overflow, copy paste. Did it work? Sweet. All right, let's move on. Um, but yeah, we just pulled that all off of GitHub. I, yeah, I, but it, it does go back to that provenance. It goes back to the software bill materials and understanding where stuff is coming from and what you're actually ingesting uh, and having that discussion at a developer slash even an organizational level that's probably not going on. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I mean, we, we don't know. And it's also funny when you consider like, okay, Log4J is bad, right? But I've also had clients who... Um, they Googled like node Alpine Docker and they got some random person's node Alpine Docker. And it's not one or five. This is like dozens of clients who did this and they found some random persons and he was, he was a great guy, but if they had just looked at Alpine node, they would have seen the official Docker image. Or if they had just looked at node Alpine, they also would have seen that official Docker image. And it's just like, you know, there's, there's no easy way to consume software for, for people, regardless of what the software is, anywhere in your stack. It doesn't matter. There's no easy way to consume it. So, And we're seeing that across the board. Yeah. We like, just can't consume well, software properly. Yeah, it goes back to source of authority, right? Like, who is the source of authority? Who is it that you actually trust, right? Um, 
because just because some, yeah, just because something is on GitHub does not mean it's approved source, right? For actually running, everyone pushes their projects up to GitHub. A lot of people make them public, but it doesn't mean that it's safe. And that goes that goes for like exactly what you're saying. Like you Google something, the Stack Overflow answer that pops up may not be the one that you necessarily need, but it may work, right? Um, I don't know. I like it, it's 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 just a hard problem to solve. I you know I know we're not going to be able to solve it today on the podcast, but uh, like it's it's interesting to think through and yeah talk about i guess right i I don't know one of the other things michael scavetta and and folks at microsoft are are actually looking into is what like an oss health scorecard which is like how healthy is is the source code that we is it moribund like has no one literally committed to this thing for 17 years and you're still using it and it has multiple open issues or is it like a mature product that has two to three issues a year they're usually solved relatively quickly but there's not a lot of churn on the software versus something that's like hyper new, tons of churn, tons of, of activity, very difficult to uh, keep up with. That's something that that I think a lot of people are interested in. Uh, and we talked about OSS Gadget, so I just posted the, the link to OSS Health. But it, it's there's all sorts of things that people need to start reviewing uh, in their consumption of software, just like you, you would check your consumption of food or you would check your consumption of, of anything. Software consumption, software ecology uh, is, a, is a, a big thing that we need to start thinking about responsibly as well, you know? Yeah, yep. Well, and that, I mean, it's interesting that that's what you bring up um, as I was like at a, you know, at some of the financials that I've been at where we were doing approval of open source software and library inclusion. That was one of the things that we looked at is how active is the project? When was yeah. the last commit? Like how many vulnerabilities have come out of this software package in the last, you know, 10 years if it's been around for that long, right? It was it was trying to gauge that health and having a utility to do that makes things a lot easier. And even pushing it into, you know, some sort of static analysis tool just to get an idea of what's actually there, even though they, you know, they, they weren't super mature at the time, there was, there's a lot of interesting... Uh, use cases and inter- interesting indicators that you can pull out just from some of those automated tools and just from the the issues that surround it, right? Like where it's actually hosted. I mean, if you're finding something that was only on Google code, like, all right, you know, there's, there's probably some like non-maintenance that's going on there. So anyway. Hey, yeah. what's wrong with Google code? Some of the best it's been a while. download and run. <laughs> It's been a while since anyone's been using Google code, I think, but yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's just, it's a hard problem to solve, but I, I do think by being more conscious about what we're consuming, we, we can now that has worked swimmingly for environmental issues and health issues. So I'm sure it will work swimmingly. for software <laughs> issues too. Yeah. Um, you know, just be more conscious of where you're <laughs> including software from. I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, but I, I do think that balancing act is, uh, is at least being looked at. Like teams are start. Like Microsoft is looking at how do we process this. I know Sneak is looking at, at that sort of thing. Like what's the what's the health? Uh, OWASP has some some tools in that space. You know, it's it's at least uh, as unfortunate as it is. Disaster is the mother of invention, and people are at least working on it now. And I'm sure Log4j will have a very active commit history for like 
the next six to 12 months. I'm sure people will be all over that thing. Yeah, yeah, you need to be you'd be you need to be able to check the health of your application, but then also tie that back to the health of services that your application connects Absolutely. to. And that's that's, I think, an interesting intersection is like, yeah, we've done everything and our health looks pretty good in our app, but we're using services that are and they're hosted by a paid provider, but they're using like we saw like certain elastic somethings in the cloud. Um you know, there's, 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 there's concerns there. There's lots of, if you look at the log4j thing, look at just all of the Apache products that were affect, affected and impacted. And you're like, yeah. well, you need to, you need to have like an intersection of your health and then the services your app connects to, like, you'd almost need to know what their health looks like as well to say if like the services your app use, uh, are using are riskier because they're built and underpinned and, or sorry, what they're built what, how they're built is uh, sitting on top of, you know, potentially outdated or unmaintained libraries. So it's like a whole eco and that gets more and more complex, you know, as we build these service oriented architectures and microservices, I say that somewhat begrudgingly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's a, it's a <laughs> difficult to, when you start doing the, the, the mapping of what that catalog would need to look like. It, it, it feels a little onerous is what I'd say. It, it's funny. I've been using reason in OCaml quite a bit more heavily lately. And uh, that ecosystem tend towards like one solution very quickly wins out. Um, it's obviously a smaller ecosystem and small number of developers. But one of the, one of the things that I've noticed about that is like, if I look for OCaml base 64, like I was looking earlier, um, there's one and everyone has their eyes on it and everyone's using it. And whenever it breaks or does something funky or doesn't work in a specific environment, it's, it's fixed. And I, I do think some of this also speaks to, we need to get better about plugging together our software. Yes. But also language ecosystems need to be a little bit more opinionated about this. Remember when Python came onto the, the scene, it's, it's been out for a long time, but when it started to come out and people from Perl, uh, we're like, what do you mean there's only one way to do things? That's garbage. I want 17 <laughs> ways of doing everything. But it was quite nice to go into a Python code base and be like, you know, from Sun AU, import whatever you were doing, and you got all the audio stuff that you need to work with. Or yeah. from right. JSON, import, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, loads and, and uh, dumps. And that's it. You just worry about the one interface. And I do think... We need much more opinionated, much less, uh, much less like, I don't know, completely loosey goosey environments um, to to work with to help with a lot of these problems too. You know, so to clarify, one one thing to do for most problems, it would be a lot easier than like I have to figure out how to do this problem. You know, so well. And that actually brings up a concept when you were just talking about that as like languages having explicit, like things that are included and imported that are, it's not the entire library's contents. It's like a, just a subset of functions and it'd be easier to figure out if you're vulnerable, if you know that it's like XYZ functions of this library that are affected and you know your app only uses that small subset. Yeah, that would be super, actually, I've never thought about that. Like I've always just assumed you're using the library you know, got to upgrade, 
for the patch. But um, when you're doing this sort of like incident response dance, that, yeah, that's pretty helpful to know like exactly. The, I don't know. It's just a concept there that's interesting. Yeah. I think the only the only problem you run into is is two things, right? You have gadgets which which might allow access to library functions that you didn't expect, so that's always fun. And then you mm -hmm. have uh, Rice's theorem, like core laws of computer science and programming languages don't allow you to always figure out if something is actually used in a code base. So <laughs> that is, yeah, you and I uh, can't speak to it, but uh, could speak to it if we could speak to it. I don't know how to, <laughs> how to say it any other way. Just read but, uh, Rice's theorem. Yes. Yes, <laughs> read there you go. read yes. Rice's theorem. Yes. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you, you you talk about like what's actually important, right? In a code base, can like that idea, and that I mean that Jerry Gamblin and you know everything that those guys were doing over at they got acquired. What was the name? Uh, Kenna. Um, Kenna. Kenna. Yeah. 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 It was it was trying to give prioritization. I mean, that was more on the network side of thing, like the vulnerabilities as they popped up. But you know, as you dig into code bases, you can definitely you can definitely have a discussion about what's actually being used. Uh, but again, it goes back to that understanding of what the asset is, what the software bill of materials is, and then what's actually provided by those interfaces and the different versions of the software. It's not an easy problem to solve. Like it just like without, I know it could be automated at some level, um, but like how much time do you actually have? Right. Well, you know what else is interesting? Speaking of Kenna, um, Jerry Gamlin does a ton of CVE processing. I know, I know he's mentioned it. I, I like how Seth is somehow. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I got interposed onto, onto Ken. But I, uh, I, I know Jerry has done quite a bit of work on this, but if you look at CVEs and you look at uh, how they're processed, the data behind them is really rough. It's like a bunch of people at MITRE and, and other CNAs oh, trying to get yeah. data in. Don't even get me started, right? right. Like, I, like I, you know, half the time, they like CVEs aren't even descriptive as to what the what the function it's is, what the lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a freaking placeholder. And there's not a lot of data in there. It is. I, I, I mean, it's great. You're like, oh, yeah, I have this CVE that I discovered something. And I'm like, there's nothing in that CVE outside of, there is a problem with uh, Microsoft Windows, right? Some of them are that broad. And I, I'm like, it, it's not super helpful. And I know, like, we should probably have Jerry back on to talk about it because that that yeah is a, it's a huge mess is realistically what it boils down to, right? Like, it's just a huge mess. Um, and, yeah. and I don't have a solution for it, right? Like, I just don't have a solution. And but I don't think anybody does at this point um, outside of it's a hard problem and you well, got to keep at it. Uh, so NIST has oval, right? That's mm -hmm. uh, an open SCAP and uh, all those sorts of things. But the last time I looked at uh, the oval interpreter and, and running that whole suite of things, that was like downloading seven gigs of vulnerable data and then making sure that you could either get data that could be correlated to Oval or you could get the Oval interpreter on every machine. Now, imagine if your pods, which were like 500 megs or whatever, now have to have oh, seven right. gigs of Oval data. I mean, it's just like we, we have people doing the right thing, but they're sort of uh, outdated or old or whatever. And we, we really need to take a fresh look at a lot of this stuff, especially when we have so much crap out there that is literally meant to be parsed 
and under you can literally import a terraform parser in a python session right now and start processing your terraform files you yeah. know like yeah so get out there and do it <laughs> every single yeah. one of you start typing <laughs> right now no but seriously we could do so much more and it, it's there we just need to have like have actual investment in it yep yeah well, and I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see with this, with all the Log4j stuff that's going on, how much investment gets into that sort of thing. I mean, organizations, there are organizations that will. There's others that'll patch and they're just going to move on. And I think, sadly, that's probably going to be the majority, right? Is the majority yeah. will just be like, oh, okay, you know, that was just the latest vulnerability. So make sure our instance response plan was executed properly and let's move on. Um yeah, and until the next one, because there will be another one. Well, there'll be another one, and then they'll be so shocked and surprised, and it'll be the worst thing since shell suck, and you know, blah 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 blah. And it's like, come on, like we we consume so much software, and we 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 don't actually know what we're doing half the time, and then we just end up in this situation, you know, where we're we're broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it looks like, uh, by the way, I heard you guys say, did you say my icon when I uh, turned off the video was Seth? Yeah, it was Seth, yes. I don't know why. That's pretty interesting. It was bizarre. So let me ask you, let me ask you this question. Um, do you have any predictions for what, uh, you know, the, you know, the next year might, might bring uh, security wise? Um, I, I think, I think we're going to continue to see. So, in in the uh, in the blockchain space, obviously, I don't really work in that space anymore. But in the blockchain space, um, we started to see a lot of these supply chain attacks previously, right? Uh, mm-hmm. There were a lot of people targeting malware for for this area. There were a lot of people uh, interested in in this area, and now we're starting to see it in like traditional infosec as well. I, I think we're, we're going to see an uptick in, in actors using these sorts of things. I think we're going to see an uptick in actors targeting um, MSSPs, right? Because, again, this is still the weakest link for, for most organizations. You target who you're outsourcing stuff to. You target um, what you're consuming. You're, you're going to target an organization based on stuff they post on their GitHubs, right? And I, I think we'll just see more and more supply chain stuff for a while. Uh, if you look at the threat actor landscape, most of them are packaging up known sets of TTPs that they have, and they just replay them over and over again, whether those are human-focused TTPs or technical TTPs or whatever they are, um, they folks will continue to do that. And I, I think we'll just see supply chain continue to be, I could see at some point a backlash against this, like, which is going to be worse in some ways, right? When remember the old days of like not invented here, when everyone would write their own stuff and you would go into a client and you had no idea what you were getting into because they totally implemented their own configuration language that is a hundred percent like JSON, but they also added you know like the addition operator or something ridiculous, you know, and it's like accidentally Turing complete somewhere, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, I. I, I do think we'll see an uptick in, in supply chain. I think we'll see an uptick in uh, nation state actors moving down the, the supply, like the food chain a little bit um, as they want to move laterally to an organization that they're targeting. Um, but I don't think we'll, we'll see any huge 
sudden winds in this space. Unless, unless a language actually bellies up to the bar and, and starts to say, okay, you know, for F sharp, <laughs> where if you're, if you're parsing JSON and you're, you're doing this, you must have the following things in order for it to compile, you know, and it doesn't have to be hard. Seth, you and I have talked about this a ton. We even wanted to study removing Turing completeness from languages. Yeah. Yes, yes. I knew it was going to come up today. I knew it was, but yes, keep, keep, <laughs> keep on going. <laughs> but I, I, I do think we're going to need to see languages and frameworks belly up to the bar to, to fix a lot of this stuff, just very much like we've seen, uh, we've seen, you know, languages and frameworks belly up to the bar to fix input, uh, input validation, output encoding. It's the same thing. We're going to need provenance. We're going to need strong checks. We're going to need web of trust. And that's a huge four-letter word for many people. But we're, we're going to need a lot of this sort of stuff, especially as we continue to build these like very complex social ecologies, you know? Yeah. I'd also love to see a, like, uh, if you're familiar with ecology, like uh, the, the Gaia hypothesis versus the Median hypothesis, like the Median hypothesis is that Earth is continuously trying to kill all life on it and it just so happens that life like accidentally continues to exist on earth like it would be very interesting to have two ecologists talk through uh, software as well and see what they think about the ecosystem you know because <laughs> it's certainly not healthy <laughs> no well yeah well yeah i mean from a prediction perspective i mean ken and i were talking about this and we may go deeper into it next episode because i know we're pushing it here on time today and i want to be cognizant especially where you joined yeah. I mean, it, it is the holidays, so it's a special episode, whatever. I got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like from a prediction perspective, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, it's going to be iterative. There's not going to be anything that's going to be that groundbreaking. Um, I just like, we've never seen, like, when was the last time you saw something that was groundbreaking in the software space, like in the software security space? Um, it's all very iterative. We build on what we've done before and that's how we solve cross-site scripting. That's how, that's how we solve SQL injection. Yeah. So I thought serverless was a very cool thing until Stefan ruined, ruined that for me. I was like, <laughs> hey. Oh yeah. They've been doing that for you. This is just a new name on stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's already been around. And Luke I was like, thanks Stefan. Oh, let <laughs> me be ignorant. Let me be happy and ignorant. No, joking. Luca Cardelli was working on that in the eighties uh, it was got some stuff that they were doing at at uh, at DAC, believe it or not, in in a language called Oblique, and they had like you could write it on your machine, test it with a small data set, and then throw it into the cloud, which they called a grid in those days, and it it just worked. You didn't have to do anything, and that was serverless. Uh-huh. See, you we just slapped time with Stefan. You'll have no heroes, no inspirations. <laughs> nothing is new. He just knows too nothing much. Nothing is new. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> is. Haven't we talked about? I wouldn't know. Like, I, yeah, I'm so new into the space. I don't even know what this Perl language is you were talking about, Stefan. That's yeah. Well, that's that's something I've always been interested in. Is like the, the history of programming languages and the history of of operating systems and whatnot. And I, I think there's and I could talk about this all day, but there's there's a huge lack of understanding of the history of where things come from. And very often people just reinvent the wheel. Um, and I think it's fine to reinvent the wheel, right? We need to do new stuff. But when you're reinventing the wheel from ignorance because you didn't know what was out there, that's a very different perspective than 
I'm reinventing the wheel because I have studied what came before and realized what the weak, the weak points or the, the shortcomings of that were. You know, yeah, yeah, that's um, a very valid point. That's a very valid point. One that one is trying to improve where the thing broke down before, and the other is just assuming nobody else had that idea before, and uh, that's capricious, we'll say. Uh, the well, oh, yeah, and this, I, I mean, this goes back to an education perspective, and the you know, this is the argument of computer science as an actual like scientific you know methodology like how we learn about building software versus boot camps and you know hey in six weeks you can learn everything you need to know about javascript right like and it it doesn't mean that they don't each have their place but at the level that we're starting to talk about here the science and that the scientific background of actually developing software is very important when it comes to security and understanding What's come before and what are the ideas that people have tried that did not work and why didn't they work? Um, Cause I, I mean, I feel like we run into that and that's where we have a lot of these issues. And we'll continue to. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. And this is where, you know, yeah, Ken, you know, this is you why I'm a with it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and when I say nihilist, I should always clarify, like when I say nihilist, I mean it in like the uh, nihilistic communism. Like there's no there's no inherent uh, like moral good for security. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's, yeah. there's mm-hmm. no requirement that is inherent to security that makes it morally righteous choice versus being insecure. Right. It's it's a process you have to work on. So, yeah. 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 Yep. It'll just depress you. That's all. (laughs) I'm not depressed. I'm super happy. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's always going to be something to work on. Not even that. I mean, you know, life is short and then you die and then it's. (laughs) See? Yep, exactly. That's. (laughs) And on that note. (laughs) And on that note. right? Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. You know, whatever you want to say. But um Let's see, you pop some. Oh yeah, you got oblique in there. You should probably pop pop up some of those into the yeah, I would into the stream. And I think to to Larry's point there too, you can build. I think learning the basics is is interesting, and I, I do think starting out is very interesting. But I think the problem is we very often in computer science and computers in general, rather than focusing on our problem domain, I want to build websites for businesses. I want to build things like that. We very often are like, I want to build websites for businesses. Therefore, I need to write my own ORM in order to approach <laughs> yeah. this. And I'm going to write my own shadow DOM uh, because that is totally in what I should be doing for my, my application. And I, I think there's that struggle continuously. We always want to have, uh, we always want to have something new and something different and, and be working on something impactful. And Actually, the vast majority of software that we create is incredibly boring. It's boring. It's very boring, yeah. you know. But imagine if you had to write something to do all of the pipes that we do in Shell every single time. You know. Yeah, it would. It, it it's it's so difficult. I mean, we're building on top of. Yeah, I, and this was. I, I mean, again, it goes back to this 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 whole education space is what I keep going back to is computer scientists, the software that we build, the problems that that I studied at, you know, in college and like from that perspective aren't the same problems 
that a business is trying to solve and right. a business is trying to put a product out. Um, and there is a, you know, there's research institutions, there's, you know, there's definitely language development that's going on at specific businesses, but it's very rare to run into that, especially coming out of college and coming out of a degree program where you are studying the theoretical pinnings of, you know, what does, you know, computer science actually look like? How is code implemented on, in Silicon? How does it understand? What are gates? What are, you know, everything that goes into that super low level is not as a concern to, hey, I want to sell my, you know, doodad on Amazon. It's just not, right? Like it, you know, that, that it's a different problem that you're trying to solve and understanding that and teaching people what they have to be concerned about and what they should be using. Um, it, it, it doesn't always line up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yep. But yep. anyway, right. Like I, I can I, literally talk about this all day. <laughs> I, I know. I, yeah. I like <laughs> at some point it's just becoming a bitch session. So um, anyway. Okay. So next, next time, Ken, we're gonna That's basically all Stefan and I do anyways when we talk, so don't worry. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> next next time, let's talk. Uh, we're going to have predictions for, I, I don't know if we're going to try and do a year in review. We can look back on episodes. There's been a lot that's happened this last year <laughs> in the space. Here's the year in review. To... This is fine emoji. emoji. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> How much of that is the last two weeks talking versus what actually happened? Yeah, whatever. That's true. Um, that's probably true. Um, but upcoming like future predictions, right? Like, I, I don't know, like if, if we can go out there on a limb, uh, as far as anything's concerned, right. Because, you know, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know right now. Like I haven't put a lot of thought into it outside of the fact that it will be iterative. Like, you know, Stefan, like you're saying, we'll see what happens. Right. But we'll talk, we'll talk more about that next week for sure. Um, Anything else? Any last minute thoughts, Stefan? And then we'll go ahead and close this out this time. Actually, yeah. I may yeah. not be around for next Tuesday, so I may have to what? lean on y'all. Yeah. Um, I mean, because I don't, I don't know the how calendars work. So hold on, let me look. What day <laughs> is next Tuesday? I think I won't be around. Hold on. I, I think you're off based on work calendar, Ken. I am. I, I will not be able to make that. So we might have to move it around, or uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll figure it out. Figure it out because I think, yeah, because we may just do a late night episode anyway, and we'll just loop things in, right? Like an after dark episode, and do some more code review, um, and loop in some predictions, or we'll just come up with a list and just post it out there and say, you know, suck it, right? Like I don't know. (laughs) This is everyone who I didn't like in 2021. That probably wouldn't be the best thing to do, but yeah, sure. Like, so let's go with that. Yeah, this would be super short. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Uh, sweet. Cool. Well, well, Stefan, thanks for joining. Thank today. you. Last yeah. Minute. Thank you. Having me, gentlemen. Good, good surprise on my end. So appreciate it. Thank you, um, Stefan. Yeah. Thanks for talking it through. Uh, we will, uh, yeah, just watch out for uh, new episodes and what we're going to be doing next. We will post it in both Slack and uh, via Twitter when things are going on. Uh, but otherwise we appreciate everybody's interaction and joining us today. So, thanks everybody. Thank you. <laughs>